Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a conversation I recorded with my friend, the Reverend Matthew Nikoloff. Matthew is a mission developer, which means he's a church planter in Rochester, New York. He serves at the South Wedge Mission. Matthew and I have known each other for a long time, and I brought Matthew on to talk about spiritual for this topic and it skews into some really cool theological grounds we talk about sanctification versus justification don't worry matthew will explain all of that really well but just thinking about what does it mean and and, and how should we concern ourselves with uh about matters of holiness as many of the theologians say i really hope you enjoy it we go some really interesting directions which is always the case with matthew um and and just really examine the fact that there is a lot in this world that's messy and difficult to understand and you know we have people shouting on one side of the political spectrum or the other and how do we walk in the middle of that as people of faith that's all i've already said enough matthew's gonna say a whole lot more this is a long one but hopefully a really interesting discussion for you here we go a conversation with reverend matthew nikoloff on spiritual practices Right. This idea that, you know, um, being Christian is just being Christian. Um, the religious part is about, you know, your personal salvation. And then the lived out part is just about social ethics. And look at that's been used by both um, conservative and liberal sides to say, like, look at on the conservative side, like Christianity is only about your personal salvation. And then the state takes care of ethics. And on the other side, on the kind of the liberal side, it's been that. All that matters is ethics, right? Because, you know, you're saved no matter what, which really kind of degenerates into like, who cares if you're saved or not? Because God loves everybody. So who cares? And let's just all be social justice warriors, right? And I think Mm -hmm. the hard part about being Lutheran, like we brag about being all about paradox and living in this tension. And then we shy away from it. The paradox for Lutherans, and I think for all Christians, is that social justice, loving your neighbors, and personal holiness, none of that is a separate category. It's all under the, the the kind of heading of discipleship. Like doing justice and making sure that your neighbor has enough food, even if that means advocating for better food policies in your government, that's not something you do as a Republican or a Democrat. That's something you do as a disciple of Jesus, right? Hey, welcome, everybody. I am on the line with my dear friend, Matthew Nikoloff. Matthew is the pastor at South Wedge Mission, which is a mission development congregation in Rochester, New York. Basically, what that means is that Matthew's starting a church, and he's been working hard at this for almost a decade now. Uh, He has a lot of stories about that, I'm sure. But Matthew, you're there, right? Hello? I'm there. I'm here. Awesome. Matthew, tell us a little bit too. Like, just give us a little biographical information. I gave a little short, fast, and cheap, but what else do we sure. need to know about you? Sure. Well, I'm from Rochester, New York originally, um, back in the day. So was grateful to be able to come back here after um, my seminary training at Duke and doing an internship briefly in y'all's hometown of Denver, Colorado at House That's for All right. Sinners and Saints. Uh-huh. Uh, lived in Denver before that as well at the Denver Catholic Worker and as part of Casa Caribou. So Denver has a big place in our heart. My mother-in-law and my brother-in-law both live there still. So, you know, maybe one day we'll make it back there. You know, uh, Nate and I always talk about the, the things we would do if we actually lived in the same place. But I've been here, like you said, for nine years. I got uh, uh, my wife Leah and I both grew up here and met at the end of high school, but then ended up not uh, getting together till after that. And we have three awesome kids, Abigail, who's 12 and going into middle school next year, Matthias, who's nine, and Mariel, who is for going on ruling the world and she's a handful yeah so you know um right yeah it's awesome yeah love 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 being at home close to our all the grandparents and uh family and it's it's both awesome and hard being where you grew up planting yeah well and i think i think we connected so well so i was starting a congregation in buffalo new york at the same time that you were doing um your work in rochester so we would meet halfway between the two at a target starbucks starbucks yeah starbucks as we affectionately <laughs> call it to solve the world's problems um and you've been far more successful i've moved on from that church start but i think we've we've had so much in common just in terms of general struggles well you um, paved the way like you you were thrown out there with less prep than i had and so i've, I've built on kind of you know 
whatever went wrong for you has gone right for us, you know? So we've, we've learned from your stuff and I'm grateful for that. Oh, thanks. Matthew. I'll say well, the, the, the only song that any Nate wrote these amazing, um, worship songs with his worship leader, Nick at the time. And, uh, we still play some of them and I've tried to write my own. And just recently uh, a colleague of mine from seminary wrote and said, I love your songs, especially that one blank. And it's one that, you know, Nate wrote. So the only one I've ever <laughs> gotten awesome. angry is something that Nate wrote that I've stolen. And I appreciate that because I built on Nate's, Nate's awesome work. And that's, I would say that <laughs> our church only is successful because of Nate going first and kind of having. Oh, stop. You're, you're being way for too real. Yeah, no, you, you get, you, you went through a lot harder stuff than we did, you know? Well, and we've we've worked together on a bunch of different things. There's been some social media stuff that I've put out even here during my time in Denver that originally came from your work um, at Southwest Mission. So it's fun that are the ways that our our work can overlap and intertwine, um, which right, brings yeah, us yeah. to today with this podcast. Because I knew I'm like, oh, Matthew is great at talking about spiritual practices, and you're really passionate about it, and it plays some really cool roles at um, at the mission there. And one of the things that I'm like working on at, here at Bethany is also trying to teach and lead and develop um, more awareness of spiritual practices too. So I wanted to bring you on to pick from your wisdom because you're you have a great theological mind uh, to just talk about spiritual practices because I know you're passionate about it just like I am. Um, but so let's just start there. Why don't you? I've given definitions before, etc. But it's always nice to hear someone else's take. How do you understand that terminology, Matthew? Right on. Yeah. Good question. Um, what we say is a practice is something that's consistent, committed, and communal. So nice, like little alliterative three C's there. But, you know, something you do consistently, so that might mean every day, um, you commit to it, so you make sure you do it every day as best as you're able, right? You're not always able to do it because of family or work or just, you know, personal, whatever, whatever's happening. But you try your best to do it as mm -hmm. consistently as possible. And generally, I think a practice, it can be individual, but I think in Christianity, there's no such thing as individual salvation. Um, we're always part of a community. So even when we're doing it alone, mm. it's something that I think the community has tried and tested and played around with and figured out some different ways for it to work and passed on. So I think that communal dimension is also really important. And it's something that enables us to build some muscle memory in our spirit and in our body, holistic muscle memory, as well as I, I think um, some skills that we need in order to be more available for loving our neighbor as well as loving God, right? What we say at the mission is like, we don't practice in order to become better than other people. We practice in order to become better for other people. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's great. And, and because, I mean, just personally, I found too, going to church, you know, just something like a really simple practice, like participating in the weekly liturgy. Um, it's one of the things that I love about being a part of a liturgical church where Sundays look more or less the same each week. You know, you sing right. some of the same songs, um, you go through some of the same mm -hmm. movements, confession and forgiveness, reading some scripture, singing some songs. Right, uh, right. But the ways that then those pop up during the week. And so, you know, like I'm, I'm driving in the car and getting stressed out, but then I'm reminded of the, you know, I find myself singing the Kyrie and like praying right, for God right. to have mercy in the midst of my stress. Like it's just amazing how the practice itself then pops up in different places. And so I love this phrase that you're talking about at the mission there of that, you know, you're not doing this so that you can check things off on a list and, and you know, achieve greatness, but it's so that you're kind of preparing your whole being for being better for other people, you know, to, to live out this mission that we have. That's cool. Um, right. Right. Well, like Martin Luther in the freedom of the Christian, right. Which is like kind of the, the seminal word, word yeah. text for all of us Lutheran folk. Right. A lot of people would say Luther is like, all oh, right, don't worry about works. Just focus on justification. Right. That moment where God accepts you when you realize you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to earn God's love. And that's great. Like we do need to have that moment. It's just that it's not really very Lutheran. Like Thomas Aquinas, who was a Catholic theologian right before Martin Luther said the same thing. And so did St. Francis, so did almost every Christian before Martin Luther. Like that was not Luther's original thing. Luther's original thing was that um, now that we understand that, we're free to do sanctification, growing in righteousness, growing and doing good works, not in order to get like out of purgatory or to get points with God, but so that we can achieve the maximum good in the world 
on behalf of God. Like we can be, we can be even more awesome for God because we're no longer consumed with trying to, you know, get out of jail for free um, uh, because of grace. So it, it's like, we're not that different from the Catholics. It's a, it's a matter of narrating it, but the way I, I phrase it, we talked about this a little bit a minute ago, but grace for me is like, right. Like when you're justified by grace through faith and all that, it's like, you know, you're, you're included in God's musical band, right? God's troop, God's band, God's, um, cool. Okay. Yeah. Artistic expression. And God gives you an instrument for me. It would be an electric guitar. Cause that's my favorite instrument to play for you. Might be a flute or a drum or your hands or your voice, whatever. But God says, here you go. This is a free gift. You are now part of the band. You can sing along, you can play along, whatever you want to do. Or you can stay silent. Whatever you want to do, you'll never be out of it. You're in the band, you know. You can be a roadie. You can do the light show. You can do the soundboard. Whatever it is, but like you are part of this thing, making the music of God in the world in order to give life to others, to inspire others, to action, to just be a presence of beauty and goodness in the world. Our whole life mm-hmm. is not so much that like we have to prove ourselves worthy of God, but that because God loves us, God is going to take us through this continual process of purification sanctification growth regeneration whatever you want to call it right god, and, is and what content, I, god is not content to leave us with like a white supremacist worldview or a woke righteousness worldview god wants us to be god's holy gods like luther's main point with everything luther wrote was not about works it was about the first commandment like are we worshiping the god of israel the god of creation the god who gave us life and loves us and sacrifice himself in order to prove God's love for us? Or are we worshiping something we made in order to like make ourselves more worthwhile? Like at the end of the day, like even social justice or, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, both of those kind of extremes can be things we do in order to manufacture a God that we can live up to rather than accepting grace and then growing in that grace with the freedom of a child of God who says, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but at least I'm doing this with a parent who is willing to help me grow and become better so that I can make the world a better place for others. Well, and bringing it all together, I love the way that you've kind of given us the dichotomy of both. Um, and, and I read a, a book recently talking about how, you know, like the worst thing that's happened is that we've all just put on these jerseys, be right, it, right, right. you know, liberal Democrat or conservative Republican or whatever other labels you want to put on it. We put on these jerseys and then we fight for the jersey rather than getting to like, the heart of the issue or what's below it. And, and and really as Christians, it's not that we put on the Christian Jersey, but like that, that is our identity. Right. Um, that, that supersedes whatever else we might identify with, you know, like we can still have oh. other places that we identify in communities that are important to us, but the Christian label is the one that really needs to be the guiding force. How are we following Jesus and, right. and bringing it back to the, the individual communal piece it's, you know, when we just make it about works righteousness or woke righteousness, you know, whatever, you know, whatever label you want to put on that part, that's all about the individual. And it's all about your own ego, too. Just like, I'm doing this right. Yeah. I know I'm doing this right. I feel right. good about doing it right. And, and, you know, you're doing it right in the way that someone else has prescribed. Um, right. Versus, right. like, I'm doing this for the sake of the world. I'm doing this so that the kingdom of God can come to earth as it is in heaven, so that, you know, more healing and wholeness can be experienced, not just by me, but by all those I come in touch with. And so it's a real, it's a real mindset, mindset shift. Um, <laughs> right. And okay, but like, this is an amazing tangent that we've gotten off on. <laughs> that I hope I think people find valuable. Dude, how do spiritual practices? How, do, how can you expect this? anything less? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. This is where all our conversations <laughs> go. But seriously, let's, I mean, th- I think it's all good preamble too. how does you know, spiritual practices fit into exactly what we're talking about here, about moving right. from the individual to the communal, about taking off our jerseys and being more in line and in tune with the music of God, as you use that beautiful analogy. Right. That's a great, that's a great way to bring it back together. I think, first of all, spiritual practices, if we're talking about music, they provide kind of like a basic rhythm or a basic you know, drum beat to come back to, you know, because the world is complicated. The world is this paradoxical place of sinners and saints that exist together. And 
And our temptation is to stray away from that tension for the the gift of certainty, right? The gift of like, if I do X, Y, and Z, I am in God's will or I'm accepted, right? And we all fall prey to that. I fell prey to that all the time, you know, progressives and conservatives and everything in between. We want some way to know that we are good, that our life means something, that the work we've done matters. I, that's just a human thing. And I think that's why God has so much grace on us. Right. Both right. Parties. Well, and so I want to bring this back then too to what you 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 had a throwaway line earlier that I think has a lot tied up in exactly what we're talking about. In this idea, you said um, salvation isn't individual; it's communal. And right. as I'm listening to you talk about all this, and, and this particularly the way that Luther wrote out his um, his theological ideas, I'm reminded of this poster I have, um, this really beautiful painting that was given to me um, when I left my work at the seminary. As a going away president, it's this big picture, and it says, um, it's a quote from Luther that says, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Really tying wow. together this wow, whole yeah. individual communal piece of it all. Um, and I did not know the history of it and the ways that, like, Lutheran theologians in the early 1900s kind of started moving people away from this really true Lutheran understanding of um yeah of of the way that holiness kind of plays into the whole formula and equation uh, so right yeah, i mean say just say a little bit more per, in particular about that statement of individual versus communal yeah no i like how you're saying that that individual need that the work we yeah. do matters yeah whatever we, that, we are matters yeah right well and that's part of i think why we we put on the jerseys is because then yeah. you have a, a community behind you saying like yes you're headed in the right direction Part of the movement in our century, especially starting in those early 1900s with folks like um, Van Harnack, right? Adolf Harnack, uh -huh. who was mm -hmm. one of the Lutheran folks who basically said, like, we need to have this social gospel. Right? Jesus mm -hmm. just did that as a overflow of who God is, as the incarnation of God in the world and called us as Jesus's disciples, as people who affirm Christ as the true revelation of God's character. I do think we, we seek stability and that's part of the first commandment that luther was so concerned about like i said luther's main concern i know we always talk about this and this is my southern seminary training coming out luther was not concerned about finding acceptance luther was concerned about finding how do we know who the real god is he was concerned about the first commandment all the way through if you read his works he was worried about how do i know that the the god i'm serving is actually the god that made everything rather than the god that i invented mm-hmm and in some sense, he was a very postmodern thinker because like there's all sorts of ways to make a God that conveniently fits your own ideals. And I've learned from my Jewish friends in particular that the best way to make sure that you have kind of a, 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 um, <laughs> Hey, all y'all in the background. Yeah, I know. A, 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 um, you know, a red phone, a, 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 um, what is it called? A direct line to, to the living God and not just to some guy we made. Um, is through spiritual practices and habits that continually focus away from our idols and make us be really honest with ourselves and to focus on reality. And I think, you know, um, there's a lot of Jewish folks I know who will say I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any God. I don't think God exists, but we'll every Friday keep the Sabbath and they'll go home and they won't do any work on Saturdays. And they'll just say, look at God is more than just my belief in God. God is about, you know, practicing, the renewal of creation. God is about studying Torah. God is about gathering in community. Like they're not ironically, even though they would say they're an atheist, what they're really saying is that God is, is not just my personal grasp upon God. Again, this gets back to the communal thing. Um, we as Western folks, as Western Christian folks, as Western, you know, um, rugged individual American folks, we really want God to be something that we are able to manufacture and sustain ourselves. And there's something really beautiful about that. We need a personal faith. We need a personal kind of reaffirmation of the baptismal vows that someone made for us back in the day. But there's also something to be said for people who, even when they don't believe in God, even when they feel like junk, even when their week has been horrible, even when everything bad that could have gone wrong has gone bad, they still show up on Friday to light the candles for Shabbat or they show up on Saturday for confession and they mm -hmm. show up on Sunday for mass or for Eucharist. Right. Um, one of my favorite writers is Eli, um, 
Eli Wiesel, right, who wrote Night, yep. and he has a quote that just said, you know, during the day we cursed God, and at night we lit the candles. And this is someone who lived in a concentration camp, right? Yeah. Look at during the day, like this is messed up. Like this is the worst possible thing. How can we believe in God after we're like being subjected to the worst possible thing you could imagine? And when it came time at night to light the candles, we did. Like that well, paradox, well, that 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 tension, like so many of us live in that place, whether we're postmodern, you know, young adults deconstructing our faith, or we're someone who's gone to our to church our whole life, and we just go because it's the right thing to do, even if inside we feel like it's dead and boring and we don't know what we're doing. Like we've all had that moment in our lives where we're just like, I don't believe in any of this. And I need to go to church on Sunday. And mm -hmm. I think practice-based faith practices help us to say that's okay. Like this week, if you don't believe, don't let it ruin your life. Like for for grace, it's it doesn't just end there. Because take the metaphor of the guitar. I have that guitar, right? It's like it's like a 1959 Gibson, you know, um, 335, which is like one of the Holy Grail guitars, right? And so okay. I have that guitar and I could either have it and I could put it in its case and preserve it and put it under the bed so that nothing ever happens to it. Right. And that's fine. Like that's a beautiful guitar and I'm taking care of my own personal salvation. I make sure nobody ever touches it or hurts it, you know, being holy and doing all that stuff for me. But I think Luther and the Lutheran tradition would define that as works righteousness. It's not so much that you're doing works in order to earn God's favor as much as I'm protecting my own holiness by not risking using this gift because I might make a mistake that would compromise my own holiness, which is actually throwing us back into the old paradigm of like my justification is all about me. Versus for me, like I think about it like mm -hmm. I'm a musician, right? As you can clearly tell. Um I need to take that guitar out of the case and I need to practice some basic stuff like scales and chords and learn some of the great songs that people have played on guitar in the past, whether it's like 18th century and 19th century, you know, Appalachian music or, you know, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or Oasis, whoever you like in Christian music or, in or, music. or that great song that I wrote for worship or, or Nate's song. Right? <laughs> and so like, or, or like, you know, whatever. And so like, look at it. Like grace is like a beautiful instrument. And you can put it in its case and you'll never lose it. Or you can take it out and practice it and make mistakes. And you can be out of tune and sound really bad, kind of like, you know, you're a three-year-old when they do their first recital with their friends and it's just awful, but you you applaud anyway. But like the point of it is not like I need to be good or else I'm getting kicked out of the band. The point of it is like when you make beautiful music, it not only like raises your own spirit, but it it gives life to other people around you, right? Like living out the holiness that Christ has given us, the sanctification, it makes everything better. It gives life to everyone around you. It gives life to you. Like living in the flow of God's grace and God's love and building that up so that you're skillful at it, especially if you're in that flow. Like you'll never ask, like, look how much holier I am than everyone else. Like works righteousness will never be a problem for you. Works righteousness is only a problem if you're already like hoarding it to yourself. But like, when you're making beautiful music, it makes your own life and everyone else's life more beautiful, more um, grace-filled, and more worth living. And so I think that's what I think sanctification is like. And when Luther talks about that in Freedom of a Christian, that's what he's after. He never says, don't do good works. In fact, he says over and over again, like, we're now freed from having to worry about ourselves. So we're free from all that like self-consciousness and that self-worship and that self-loathing and just like, make music yeah. and then make mistakes and sin boldly so that when you make mistakes, you can get better because the point is like, there's better music to be discovered and it's better because it makes everyone more happy and more alive and more full of God's grace. So to me, like grace is like learning how to play music and sanctification is like that. And practices are like that, right? Like just like every day I make my daughter play her scales and cello, even though she hates it. I'm like, <laughs> when you learn how to find these notes on the, on the fretboard, you now have more freedom to play more songs, which means when you meet up with someone else who knows the same scales as you, you two can make something that some music together that's never been made before. But if you so, didn't practice, you wouldn't be ready to respond to that spontaneous love that is being birthed into the world through that chance encounter, you know? Well, and I love, there, there's a couple pieces I want to pick up on and tie together here. 
Um, but thank you for that analogy, because that's just a beautiful way of looking at it. Um, and, and I mean, we should let everyone know, too, uh, Matthew's very well versed in Martin Luther and sanctification. Wasn't this your master's thesis, Matthew, if I'm correct? Yeah, I had to do like a Lutheran year after I went to Duke for my uh, my MDiv at uh, Southern Seminary. which I And this was your full focus, right? I, I, yeah. I, so while I was there, I was able to do a, a Master of Sacred Theology in STM. And I focused on this, yeah, because to me, like, I don't think Luther, you know, Lutherans invented the Pietist movement, which led to the Methodists, right? Like Wesley read Luther via the Pietists, and that's what inspired Wesley to start Methodism, which was a reform of the Anglican Church, and was all about small groups and practices and um, pursuing holiness. And Luther pursued holiness in his own way, like they all did. Like none of them threw out sanctification, except for the you know, the folks that did the antinomians, which, you know, if you want to get into it, we can, but <laughs> Lutherans, Lutherans are never absolved from that. I think it, the disturbing part for me. And again, well, I'll, I'll just keep it short. Cause I know it's not the main focus, but a lot of Lutherans were trained in the school of thought that is like, we only need to focus on justification on this, you know, we're so bad and we're so sinful and like nothing we can, can we can do can save us, but thank God for grace, which again, that's half of the equation. We need that half. Uh-huh. But the people who like made Lutheran theology all about that one half of the equation were Germans in the 1930s who were under the sway of a particular political movement there, which was trying very hard to get individual Christians not to think about the responsibility they had to live out, live out because they wanted to create a society in which everyone was complicit in a particular political system, right? We're talking about nazism and it's it's it's, yeah. it's so cliche to say oh look how the nazis ruined everything but really the german theologians that many lutherans are influenced by are these pre-nazi theologians who are paving the ground for a with the state who basically said only focus on justification because sanctification how you live your faith is part of what the, that's what the state's job is. So don't worry about that because if you worry about that, you might be doing works righteousness. So don't worry about it. God no. has ordained the state and other people to do that for you. So just you know, um, offshore and outsource your holiness to the government or to your pastors and everyone, all of whom happen to be complicit in this kind of horrible idolatrous regime. Keep on going, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you're facing genocide, even if you're facing hardship, even if you're facing oppression, even if you're facing privilege, mm -hmm. keep going because God has a plan that's bigger than your personal ability to grasp it. And God loves you as an individual so much that God is not going to leave you behind, but says, I'm going to graft you into this thing that keeps going way beyond you, you know? And so, I mean, I think the way thinking about you, you, you brought up the, the Jewish brothers and sisters, and I know what's so um, important uh, to their way of belief and their practice is a consistent terminology right. of remembering, 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 remembering. That's so baked into yeah, yeah, yeah. our Old Testament. You think about the commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, and all of the festivals are yeah. remembering. Remember on this yeah. night. But, you know, I, using your music metaphor, like it is through remembering, uh, like spiritual practices help us remember who God is and who we are in relation to God, whatever your practice might be, whether it's coming to church on Sunday morning for liturgy, whether it's an act of confession, it's prayer journaling, you know, we can talk about some of the different practices out there, but it helps us remember. And, and so in, in, you know, using the music metaphor, right, it, it tunes us, right? It tunes your instrument. When, when you're tuning the strings, metaphor. you're kind of like, helping the string remember to be an, an F rather than an F sharp. Um, well, or, another, another metaphor right, is that, um, or another way into that is here in Rochester, every Sunday night during the academic year, there's this um, Compline service that they do at Christ Church downtown. It's Episcopal Church. And Eastman students, Eastman um, School of Music is one of the best music schools in the country. Yeah. And they have a, a group of folks that just sing Vespers. That's all they do. They get in there, they sing latin vespers and like three to four hundred people show up every week like way more than show up to my church service right and those folks are showing up because it resonates it inspires it comforts it gives a place of peace most of the people who show up to that i know i know a lot of them through my work and they would tell me i don't believe in god anymore like christianity messed me up or i just i would love for it to be true but it isn't or whatever 
but it's still beautiful music, right? Like Bach does not stop being beautiful just because everyone in society hates Bach, right? That's kind of an act of faith to believe that there's something beautifully inherent in the things that are beautiful, good, and true that transcends like democracy in that sense, which is not to say that we should be fascists or even like autocrats. It's just to say that <laughs> God is beautiful regardless of anybody in the world believes in God. And I think as Christians, sometimes we're uncomfortable with that belief because we've been trained both as capitalists and as American Christians and just as people who love Jesus that we, we need to show people it's true. Like we can't just settle. We can't just sit on the belief that it's inherently good and that it will persist beyond us. We need to somehow make it happen. But again, think, listen to that logic. Like God's beautiful, but unless we share it, there's a button there. Right? Unless we share it, people won't know how beautiful God is. Like, ironically that's works righteousness right like unless we do something god's righteousness will not be known in the world but the the reverse as some people would be afraid of is like well god's beautiful so we can just sit around and do nothing and let people do whatever they want and they'll figure out god like i don't think we can do that either because you know you can only find so much beauty in nature before nature throws an avalanche your way and destroys you and then you're like well god doesn't exist in nature because you just destroyed me right um that's that world of tension that we as Jesus' followers live in. And I think for all the ways that Lutherans have made this idea of paradox into a slogan, it it's less about paradox. It's more just about living in the world. Like the world we live in, we're just Massive. called to like continue yeah. to practice these things consistently because some, and Jesus said this, right? There's that story about, I think it's in Luke. Forgive me if I got it wrong. Where people are like, what about those people who are crushed by the tower of Siloam, right? It fell and it killed all those people. Um, mm-hmm. and Jesus is just like, yeah, it happened, but it's not about them. What are you going to do? Right. Um, Jesus doesn't shut them down. He's not like saying, oh yeah, that's, oh, no worries. Like they all went to heaven. They're fine. He's like, yeah, that, that sucks that that happened. And who are you going to be in response? Right. Like bad things happen in the world. Hard things happen in the world. Confusing things happen every single day. Like your kids, you, you sent them to Sunday school their whole life and they don't believe in Jesus anymore because whatever. Or, you know, you've been a good person your whole life and then you end up with breast cancer and you have three months left to live. Like, stuff happens and we don't know why. But we do know that God's response to the stuff that happens is that God joins us in it. God decides to die rather than destroy us when we betray God. The God revealed in the cross is a God who is with us and says live in that tension the way that I lived in it, because there's something beautiful and good that can only happen when you dwell in the midst of things rather than trying to raise yourself above them through your works or through your secret knowledge or through your contemplative practice or through reading every Richard Rohr book or through reading every TD Jakes book. Like you need to be in the midst of it and it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard, but it's better than escaping from it. And practices help us to stay in the tension, to stay in that hard place to stay in that place of uncertainty and to say like, look at, I, I, I don't feel good. I don't like this. I don't know what to do, but I know I'm supposed to stay here because I said confession every week at liturgy and I prayed for other people during liturgy and I heard the gospel during liturgy and the sending told me that I'm going out into the world to love and serve my neighbor. And hopefully some of that stuff sticks, you know? Yeah. No. Um, and I like what you, I like this idea of spiritual practices allowing us to be present to the messiness of the world. And yeah. in, in some ways, it brings the awareness of God into that moment. Um, right. It's not that God wasn't there. It's just that we suddenly recognize that God was there all along. Like I think about, I had a friend um, who, who said the, the seven most spiritual words you can ever say to someone is, can I pray for you right now? Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, Steve. Um, and, and so like, it's just a beautiful phrase, but it, it's so right too. And that I don't know, you know, like I've sat with people in very difficult situations and it's not like the prayer fixed anything at all. Right. But, but by taking part and saying that prayer right now for that person, for the situation, it somehow brings the presence of God to our awareness in that situation, right? Like a, a piece right. settles on it. Um, right, like, like and it didn't fix people... anything, you know, like it really didn't, but it brought a piece to whatever messiness we were still dealing with. Right. Like the, the, the analogy I like, and I know we're running short on time, but the analogy I like is like, you know, I've always wanted to be a volunteer fire person, a fire, um, fireman, firewoman, fire person, firefighter. Right? 
Firefighter. Yeah, there you go. Firefighter. I've always wanted to be a volunteer firefighter. And someday I'm actually going to walk up, you know, four blocks from my house and say, like, how can I help? But, you know, I don't have the time right now. Or I don't think I have the time. But, like, what do, fire, what do firefighters do, right? The majority of their time, there's no fires. There's no fires. Like, right now in, in Rochester, I don't think there's any fires going on. I, I could log on to the blotter and find out, but no one's, there's no fires. So what are they doing? They're, they're cleaning their, their uh, equipment. They're making sure their engine is ready to go. Some of them are just hanging out in the, in the uh, lounge, building community with each other so that they can rely on each other when a fire happens. Some of them go around the community inspecting buildings, but also building relationships so that if I have a fire, I'm not afraid to call the fire people, right? Like, mm-hmm. There's so many dimensions to being a firefighter, even though there's no, there's no crisis at hand. And I think the church is called less to be a corporation that's always growing bigger and bigger and trying to figure out what its next kind of you know profitability or growth margin is. I think the church is more like maintaining a really well-oiled and really well-prepared fire department. If you mm. have 5,000 members, then you have a 5,000-member you know, impact. And if you have 40 members, like the Southwest Mission does, we have a, a different impact. But I think it's no less strong. It depends on the scale and the neighborhood. But are we spending time together so that we trust each other when a situation arises? Are we maintaining our equipment so that our engine runs, so that our hoses work, so that we're ready to respond to any call that might come in? Have we built relations with the neighborhood around us so that when we do have to show up for something, people trust us and that they'll listen to us when we say, hey, leave your loved one up there. We'll take care of it. You know, you don't have to panic anymore, right? It's very hard to disrupt God's work of sanctification if we just try. That's what, so, Luther, meant. That's what Luther meant by saying sin boldly. He wasn't saying do whatever the hell you want. Drink, you know, a, a whole handle of vodka and I still love you anyway. Like he does. God still loves us. What God is trying to say is like, run towards the best way you know how to, to love your neighbor in all the ways that you're being a hypocrite or you're being privileged or you're being whatever. I'll take care of those things. But if you're really striving to trust in my promises and love your neighbor, then I can take care of the rest. That's what Luther meant. Cause it, he didn't just say sin boldly. He said sin boldly, but be even more bold in your love of Jesus. Right. And if we can remember that second half, I think we'll be fine. You know, that's why Bonhoeffer started Casa Discipleship with that quote. Mm-hmm. He's trying to remind us, like, look at as long as you're trying to oppose Nazis, like any way you can, God will work with that. But if you're just deciding, ah, that, that that's that's works righteousness to try to work against the government and stop the Nazis from executing Jews, then God's got some problems with you, and God's gonna like have to use some more drastic measures to wake you up so you can be the child of God you were created to be. You know. Oh, that's a really great analogy. We had a, I had another friend on the podcast who talked uh, all about Bonhoeffer. So the, the yeah. listeners are well-versed. Um, okay. So tell me, Matthew, as we wrap up here, what does, um, tell us like your community, what, how, how do spiritual practices inform and influence your rhythm of life at the Southwedge Mission? For sure. Well, first of all, and I know I as a pastor and certainly our leadership and everyone you can always be more consistent, right? Consistency, um, commitment, and communality, even though they sound easy. In the world we live in with all its distractions, with all of the alternative consistencies and communities and commitments we can make, it's, it's really hard. Um, but some of the ways it's influenced us, right, is by, like you said, being consistent, offering a similar liturgy. There's Ironically, right, people look to Mission Starts as being these crazy out there experimental, like, you know, Nadia Boltzweber-esque endeavors. And I think honestly, um, the consistency of knowing that there's a place to practice the liturgy every week, to confess, to sing, to pray for others, to receive the grace of God through the Eucharist in different forms, Um, finding ways to say, look, whatever you can do consistently every day through these journals that we've created, we call them the Southwedge Abbey Project to try to emulate a monastic rhythm of life. Um, Consistently just talking about anti-racism or um, communal um, community organizing and communal involvement, not as political projects that we relegate to the social justice committee or the social concerns committee, but that we just practice as everyday acts of discipleship. Those kind of things matter. And frankly, you know, the least sexy and kind of the least obvious, but I think the most powerful thing we can keep doing is just being here for the long haul, not treating um, a church or a mission start as like one step on the ladder towards celebrity or towards relevancy or towards our next call. 
But once we found the place we're called to settle, whether it's a big church or a small church, just being there and saying, talking about things in terms of five to 10 years rather than in terms of the next week, um, building the habit of seeing ourselves as having a longevity and a commitment and a rootedness in place and using things in our liturgy that represent that. One of the things we do at the mission, right? We, we sing, we don't just sing spirituals on Pentecost or we don't just use kind of inclusive liturgy once in a while. We just try to normalize it by saying like, this is just part of the flow. You know, sometimes we use different pronouns for God and it's not to make a statement. Nobody, very few people outside of the community know that we're doing it. So again, we're, we're free from justifying ourselves before others or before God and just saying like, we want to normalize the idea that God is beyond gender and beyond mm-hmm. our concept. So let's just do it more regularly and in a non-dramatic way, like in a non-way that says, hey, everybody, look how this Sunday is LGBTQIA plus Pride Sunday. And just saying every Sunday, we just we find ways to integrate that into the regular rhythm so that people start to see that God is beyond gender or God is beyond race or God is beyond Lutheran in a regular way, you know? And I think, I think it, that's, that's really awesome. I, I appreciate you naming that because it, it really highlights the, the underlying importance of spiritual practices as a whole in any way yeah. is that, that consistency piece, right? That they're, that it becomes normalized, that, that remembering God, remembering these words, remembering these promises, um, remembering to love and care for your neighbor, you know, wh- whatever form it takes, the different practices can help normalize all of that into our life, just as you're right. talking about with right. these, you know, the way you're setting up the normal um, weekly gathering for your community normalizes a lot of your core commitments rather than making them these special flash in the pan uh, right. once like, a year. I think what happens is right. Like a lot of communities and their in their concern and their desire, which is a beautiful desire to try to engage culture they almost act inconsistently with who they are in order to attract other people. Right. Like we, we're going to be, we're going to, I've thought about this a lot recently at our church because we have a rainbow flag and a black lives matter flag outside our church. And that was something that the people of color and the queer people in our community wanted us to do post 2016 election to show that we were a safe place. And yet being in another community recently where I saw people flying American flags out of their church which for me is very uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable with God being identified with a particular nationality. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't feel like I could go in that church. And then I wondered, are people who we met somebody who actually just recently came out as, as a lesbian, but grew up in a conservative environment who would not go to the Episcopal church in her neighborhood because they flew a rainbow flag because of her evangelical upbringing, which said, I'm gay and I want to love Jesus, but I don't want to be part of anybody's political agenda. Right. Mm. And so even though I was judging the other church for its practice of putting out an American flag to show that God is identified with America, I wondered if our practice of trying to be welcoming to queer folks in this way was actually inhibiting anybody. And so part of the practice of confession and examine and reflection that we practice, right, these kind of core spiritual movements that I think every religion and every spirituality has, like like gratitude, self-examination, um, asking for help, being aware of other people, um, consistency, right? Doing that can actually help us to change some of the ways we express those practices. And again, it's not just trying to make conservative people more liberal. Sometimes it can make some of us who try to be as liberal as possible realize that the thing we're doing might actually be an act of works righteousness rather than a work of invitation and freedom. Hmm. So I think it's, it's this ongoing experiment. And, and again, some of the core practices like everyday reading scripture, every day um, gathering in community as much as we can or, or as consistently as we can um, every as often as we can practice in the Eucharist. So remember like the, the true character of who Christ, who God has revealed in Christ hearing the gospel, um, giving thanks, asking for help with our needs. Like some of these core practices, which aren't so amazing or aren't so um, counterintuitive, they help us to stay in a place where we form these, this ethos of thinking and this ethos of practicing, this ethos of feeling, so that when confusing, confusing things come up, we have kind of an intuitive sense of who God is and how God works in the midst of confusing situations. Right. You know? Like because I don't, I don't confusing. always know all the court, like with my friends who play jazz, I don't always know what they're going to do, but I have this ethos in my mind of having played with jazz musicians where I know – if they do something completely out of the blue, I can at least respond with this, this, or this. 
uh-huh. and be faithful to my own voice while also keeping the song going, you know? And that's, yeah, that's great analogy. And, and just a great point of all of these, you know, we've touched on so many topics yeah, yeah. that are, that people like to argue about, you know, that people have differing opinions about. Yeah, um, they should. Like, it's, it's okay to argue. Conf, uh, engaging conflict can be a great spiritual practice. Like, my Absolutely. Jewish friends are always, they're all about conflict. They're like, we disagree all the time. It's part of, like, drawing closer to God. Is our, We argue with God, like. That's just mm-hmm. what you do, you know? <laughs> it's okay to argue as long as we're doing it in community and we're doing it with some consistent, committed values of respecting each other and realizing that at the end of the day, we're going to argue all day, but then we're going to go light the candle. Like, imagine if your youth group said, we're going to argue about whether God exists for an hour, but then we're going to go do Eucharist together. We're going to do both and. Like, how many more of those kids that we grew up with would still be in church because they had an opportunity to explore and engage conflict in a sacred way rather than as a practice rather than as something that was shamed or seen as outside of the rhythm of life of Christianity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the reason you and I, I suspect are both in ministry is that we want to kind of like reinvent that youth group we were both in that would like invited people who had certainty into it, but didn't invite the people who had really legit questions, but those questions weren't part of our community's spiritual practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And imagine if they were like, I think a lot of it would have been resolved like the way that a lot of Jewish communities are, you know, and I don't know. It's not to say they're perfect. It's just, I think we have a lot to learn about that as Christians to see conflict as a spiritual practice. Yeah. And because as we've been saying through this whole thing, I mean, conflict underlies and honors the messiness of human existence because we will face things, as you were saying a few minutes ago, that we can't explain that completely bring us to our knees. And yet how can we still find God uh, and know that God is present with us you know, and that grace is true in right. the midst of the pain, the struggle, the hardship that we'll inevitably encounter at different seasons of our life. And that's where, yeah, consistent practice, as we also talked about, can give us that grounding. Um, and can well, I, would, like, I would say on that line, like you and I meeting consistently to play magic cards and have coffee at Starbucks, but you opened mm-hmm. this thing, like has enabled, I think, especially you to say to me sometimes, like, Matthew, you're kind of being really negative and self-centered here. <laughs> no, but you've, you've been able to engage in a conflict with me because we have this practice of gathering and trusting and doing, you know, granted it's a game we're playing, but like reflecting like those consistencies and those practices we've done in community and we've committed to them. Like when we were, when we were together, enabled you then to have some conflict with me where rather than me, well, I was, I was probably very petulant and mad at you or whatever, but it, it enabled it, it enabled it to sink totally in and me to say, I know Nate is, I know Nate is committed to me and he's consistent with me and we're a community, which means when Nate practices conflict, he's not trying to hurt me or kick me out. He's trying to build up our community. He's working for my good and for the good of the church, but having that, you know, two years of playing cards together at Tarbucks enabled me to hear something that I really needed to hear to become better for my people at the side. Right. So the practice has created a baseline rhythm and a baseline expectation that enabled us to be sanctified through our right. Iron sharpens iron is one thing that people love to quote from Proverbs, but it's not like the iron is just like playing nice with each other. Like the iron is bashing against each other. And like, I know the times you've decided to like clash with me, and not agree with my kind of self delusions have made me a better person. Mm-hmm. But it's because we had that prior practice of gathering in community and reflecting and going deep with one another. So there's so we can, right. Yeah. And we weren't doing that. So you could be better than me or I could be better than you. We both wanted to be better for each other and for our communities. And so we Correct. did. And that, that led to some positive and I think constructive changes Hopefully in both our lives. I think I would say so. We're still talking and doing a podcast together, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But, but no, I think that, you're, you're... people are afraid of that. They're afraid that the conflict will end it. And I'm saying it will end it if the relationship is shallow because you have no consistency, commitment, right. or community. But if you've done it for three or four years, a church in a community can sustain it. it. It won't be easy, but it will be good, right? Yeah. No, you're you're very generous. And you, of course, have uh, been extremely helpful. Um, and, and it, yeah, at times sharpening me through conflict as well. So know that the appreciation is mutual. I think we're both. Sure. Yeah. I'm grateful for the relationship, Matthew, uh, and grateful for all your time here today too. This has been great. Just incredible. A tour de force. Um, And hopefully you loyal listeners um, have a whole bunch of stuff to chew on with all of this. Uh, Practices are so helpful. Um, and conflict is helpful too. Conflict can be a practice uh, and life is messy and no one has all the right answers. 
So we struggled to, through it together. Um, so Matthew, grateful for you and um, sharing your time with us and the way that you've struggled through life with me at different periods of time. Um, and grateful for all your ministry and the good work you're doing there in Rochester. And we just want to be ready. And I think if we thought of the church less as this place where like we protect our own salvation and more of this place where like we're always training to be ready so that when a fire breaks out, whether it's a person in need in our community, whether it's a fire or a natural disaster, whether it's an outbreak of like anti-black people violence or anti-immigrant violence, or whether it's just like, hey, you know, everyone's grieving because of COVID and we are prepared to be a solid, non-anxious presence in the midst of that. Whatever it is, we don't have to be perfect at it. We just need to do our best to prepare for it. And, and Jesus's, yeah. Jesus's gospel gives us the grace to say, you know what? You could be a complete mess up, but start working towards that availability, that presence, that willingness. And I'll use you in the way that you're able to be used. Like Jesus promises, not just to send us to heaven, but also to say, if there's a place in the world that needs you, I'll make sure you're there. If you just make sure that you're ready. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, underlying all of it is the sense that practices can really help us tune, tune ourselves towards all of that. Right. Um, and I'm Thomas, struck- Merton, Thomas Merton called it our spiritual resume. Right. And this is where I think Lutherans are right. If we're just building a spiritual resume, like, look, I read, you know, Michelle Alexander and I read, you know, white privilege or white fragility. Right. I read all those books. So I'm ready for racism. Look how great I am. And I've, I've also read all the books about holiness. And I've also, you know, gone to church every Sunday. So I'm a good person. Like that's building a spiritual resume. That's actually using God to avoid God. But if we say, look, I'm going to do my best to understand this stuff because I care about my neighbors and I care about my church. I want God, I want God's love to permeate every aspect of the world. That that's different. Like you've read those things, not because you're trying to personally enrich yourself, but because in growing yourself, you're also making yourself more available. Like it's, it's that interdependence rather than that codependence. It's codependent to say, I'm going to read all these things so I can be better than other people. Or so look at everyone seeing how woke I am. Like that's not being awesome. That's being codependent. Stay in peace, everyone. Cool. Clear. Right on. Thanks, Matthew. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Anytime. I might have to pare it down. We'll see. Um, Surprise. I won't, I won't, I won't edit your words to make you say <laughs> something that's not true, but I might have to like cut out a section here or there. We'll see. I'll, I'll give it a listen. See what I, I, I do trust with you, it. man. It's all good. <laughs> Thanks for this. It was good to catch up and to talk. And uh, yeah. I just appreciate you sharing your wisdom. No, I'm glad we can make it happen uh, right away instead of putting it off. So it's great. Cool. Um, just before I let you go, um, how do, do you want to make music together? We have a few lingering projects. I didn't know your bandwidth and your interests. No, I think part of the reason I, I'm not going to hold in is I want to kind of work on some stuff. So yeah, let's, let's, I have to pee really bad. So I'm going to go down, but let's send me an email or a text and let's keep talking about it. Cool. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah. Right. Listen, have you ever listened to pray as you go by the Jesuit folks? Absolutely. Yeah, I think like that kind of a model of like music slash meditation might be great because it's only like a couple minutes a day. So anything we I can have, do- I have a really big idea with it. So I've done, okay. I stole Pray As You Go and did like a this podcast that we're on. I've done different uh, versions of that. Nice. That's just been good. But yeah, oh no, I'll I'll send you an email with my what I'm thinking about. Go Perfect. Peace. All right, man. Bye. Thank you. Peace. Oh,